I, I might just edit everything else and just have you open with that and go, Thomas, what, what on earth are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, it's a- and that and that is truly the long con. C A G E F I G A T. Oh my god. Oh my god. This is Cage Fight! Hello everybody and welcome once again to Cage Fight, this phenomenal, wonderful art project. My name is Gregory Aikman and as ever I am joined by my more than slightly able, my incredible co-host... Thomas Beeman, that's me. That's so fucking, that's so incredibly nice to be uh, very able. I've never been described as very able. You see, this, this sadly though, like you, and you are incredibly able, but the the frustrating thing is that because we re- record these remotely as opposed to face-to-face, mm. in a face-to-face thing, uh, it would be really <laughs> slick, so I'd go like, yeah. and the other person is, and just point to that's you, me. and you'd be like, boom, I'm up. Whereas I often just go like, and now I'll say the person, the person's coming along, and I'll say something else, and another bit of a sentence. So poor, poor Tom's there, just going, well, when's he going to shut like, the fuck up? What it, what it, I'm just waiting for my chance. <laughs> but I'm also like, wow, he's super, he, he's being really nice about this, and, uh, oh shit, I'm supposed to say my name, fuck. <laughs> but, but to anyone listening, don't worry, I have cut out. Every little bit of pausing, so it sounds like we are slick AF. Hell I yeah! I, I believe that's what the um, child, the cool kids. That's what the children do. Yeah, they do. But tell the good people uh, what we're doing here, please, Thomas. So here on Cage Fights, we take two Nicolas Cage movies, we each watch one of them, and then we talk about them, and then we come to the conclusion of which of these two movies is a better Cage film. And we'll keep doing that until eventually we find the best one. Now, we also have a, some side projects as well. <laughs> Greg, do you want to talk about our oh, at least one of our side projects? One of our side projects is to... Because the idea of this podcast, it it is not a new idea. There are several other people doing this. In fact, every time I look at it, there are more and more people. Some of the podcasts were years ago and they're dead now. Some of them are ongoing. Some of them are brand spanking new. You want to know something, Greg? I don't think... I actually believe that this is the first one. And it becomes so vastly successful Mm -hmm. that in the future, people go back in time to make the (laughs) podcast first in order to undercut us. I th- I think you're right. I think you're right. And the, and the thing is, right, we've discussed this on most episodes, and we'll continue discussing it on every other episode, but we can't, we keep on jumping between the ideas of becoming enemies with these people and destroying them, or becoming friends with them and creating a huge community, or pretending to be friends with them, getting them on board, and then sort of consuming them and destroying them from inside. And mm. we can't decide whether we're going to be evil or good, but we know we need to get in contact with all of them. So, I did. I sent some messages out to uh, quite a few. Basically, everyone on Twitter that allowed me to send messages. Where I, <laughs> where a lot of them have got their shit locked up, so it was hard. Unless I just start trolling them, which is for the next episode. I contacted it. We've, we've made a friend, and 
I've found an enemy as well, okay? Mm, interesting. Okay. There's a Nicolas Cage podcast called The Internal Cauldron of Emotions, who are two, I think it's two women whose names I don't have. But anyway, The Internal Cauldron of Emotions, as far as I can tell, their idea is similar to ours, but not better, but certainly a, a very fun thing. Because mm. they just sit together, get drunk and watch a film. <laughs> Wow, yeah, that's uh, that seems pretty good. I, honestly, I think intoxication would enhance some of these films just slightly. I think you're right. So I contacted them, just saying, "You're cool. We need to. We need to come together. We need to band together. Because if there's enough of us, we'll be able to get hold of Nicolas Cage himself to get him mm. to do the ultimate meta show of him." going through every Nick Cage-based podcast, working out which one is best. Obviously, he'll end up saying it is us, but the mm. idea of Nicolas Cage recording a podcast, and I'm determined that this is going to happen now, because, you know, why not? Why not? I've made, I've got in contact with Sam Neill before to do a musical. I can, I can contact fucking Nick Cage, right? Oh, but, yeah, definitely. Sam Neill, notoriously hard to contact. Very hard. I mean, he's the other side of the world, no matter where in the world you live. They they were kind enough to contact me and pointed out that, uh, you know, they too were shocked by how many people did uh, Nicolas Cage-based podcasts and said that we definitely shouldn't be mortal enemies. We should come together and join in. So I said, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll keep you updated with everything. But their mm, sign-off yeah. was awesome, sounds like a blast. I told them they are now our internet friends. So if Excellent. anyone wants to listen to this, but drunk women doing it, which s the tone of my voice sounds dismissive, I do not mean it to be. I mean, <laughs> us doing this, but drunk women doing it, sounds awesome. Yeah. Listen to the Internal Cauldron of Emotions podcast. But if you're doing that, don't listen to caged in Coppola Connections podcast, because they're pricks. <laughs> nice. Excellent. So these these are the ones that are not good. Yeah, I mean, I might be being very unfair to them, but I found them on Twitter because they were shouting at other Nicolas Cage podcasts, telling them off for stealing their idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Which could well be friends having fun, but I like to believe that they're horrid. So I contacted them saying maybe we shouldn't be mortal enemies. Maybe we can get together, together we can contact Cage and uh, we'll all be all, all friends and sing and dance in the end. Mm. And they said they're not mortal enemies. In fact, all of the UK-based podcasts did an episode together recently. Oh, wow. So, so all of the Cage podcasts in the UK, where I am from but do not reside, right? they, they are already friends. Which means we can get all of the Cage podcasts together into two teams. Mm, okay, I like where this is going. We can have friends and enemies and just fight them. And then we can race them to contact Cage. And right. because they said, huh, as for getting Cage to rate all the pods as someone who's tried to get him on his podcast... Good luck. So this guy's already tried to get Cage and failed to get him on podcast, which only makes me harder for the concept of getting Cage, because these guys I don't like have failed. So we must succeed where Absolutely. they failed. Although they are saying they look, they hope the launch of our podcast goes well, and they look forward to listening to it. But I suspect sarcasm. I've contacted loads of other podcasts. No one else has answered me yet. Not even Apex Twink. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was really hoping Apex Twink would uh, reply to me, but nothing yet. But I'll keep on. I'll keep updating you. So that's where we are on Excellent. the making friends slash making enemies. How are yeah. we doing with theater news? Yeah. So theater news. I am writing. I'm halfway through writing just like a quick <laughs> concept Amazing. of what a one man Nicolas Cage play would look like. Yeah. Uh, do you want a taste? Yeah, I'd love a taste. Okay, here's a taste. So the concept of the play is a, it's basically Nick Cage, A Christmas Carol, <laughs> where Nicolas Cage is, uh, you know, visited by the ghost of Cage past, present and future. Yes. That's, that's the concept of the play. Amazing. Amazing. Now, are you thinking with the performance of this, would this be Cage quickly changing costumes to play all the parts would it be loads of people just playing the part of Nicolas Cage in different guises or would it be just a narration speaking in the third person just going and then the other ghost came along and said said mm, hey but do a Nick Cage voice um what, what are you thinking are you thinking sort of third person narration one person running around changing costumes yeah I think I think it's just Nicolas Cage Mm-hmm. A few other actors, some actors portraying like a younger version of himself, nice. but also like I want it to be, I want the other two ghosts to be a bit more abstract mm. because Nicolas Cage is so multifaceted as, a, as an individual, especially like the later on uh, versions of him. It's just, I, I just want them to be represented in a, like in an abstract method that can hopefully be like a good representation of like different the different phases of his career. That sounds incredible. Yeah. How are you going to re- how are you going to represent the different phases of his career though? I think the first phase we like we really like slip in we we give the audience like a good anchor of reality and it's just like a younger version of Cage. You know, it, it's probably too much to hope for but maybe like a quick change artist who can uh, sort of like fulfill the different looks of younger cage you know which are all pretty similar if we're going to be honest like this is uh, true this is true um, yeah. but i'm just making a note so we need to contact every quick change artist we can to find one willing to do this for exposure <laughs> one that looks kind of like nicholas cage when he was younger uh not specific at all we totally possible uh <laughs> But you know, and uh, but but the later versions uh, could be uh, constructed, I believe, like less. You know, still have someone portray the voice of the object, but they're yeah. more like concepts and and constructions of like who he is at particular times during his career. Love it, absolutely yeah. love it, and Thank I you. see no reason why we could. Either we need a quick change artist, or we need to find someone who's willing to learn how to become a quick change artist. True. Or maybe just one person who can look like a young Cage. I would settle for that. <laughs> I will settle for a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it, it will be a project based largely on settling. But that that's awesome. Um, oh, uh, what, what other updates do we need to uh, fill you in, good listeners? Oh, contacting Nick Cage News uh, got nothing so far. I sent one email to um, a movie magazine to cut to Total Film, say, saying, "Have you got Nick Cage's number?" But they haven't responded yet. So we're close, is what you're saying. 
we're, we're almost there we're almost yeah. there but i will be this week i will be sending emails to every movie magazine because i can't get hold of his agent so what i think the second best thing to do is contact tons of press movie related press to try and get them to interview us we're gonna lie and tell them that we're creating a collective of every single nick cage podcast ever that's the hook that's the hook which is gonna Me. get the journalists going well, if they'd contacted us about a month ago when his new film was coming out, this would have been really relevant, but now we don't really care, but we can get them on board. Meanwhile, we'll do a Twitter campaign just posting to anyone who listens for Nick Cage to release a new film soon so the press are interested in people having exactly. stories about Nick Cage. Yeah, and if you're listening, please follow hashtag whatever we decide uh, and uh, make sure you retweet that out. For sure. Yeah, because unfortunately, any Twitter account called Cage Fight, Cage Slash Fight, Fight Cage, Cage Fights, Cage Fighting, they're all gone <laughs> years ago. Nice. Excellent. <laughs> Which is why you get really good Cage podcasts with such beautiful convoluted titles as The Internal Cauldron of Emotions, because that's the only one that hasn't been taken. But we'll... <laughs> We'll have a Twitter thing, and we'll just spam fuck out of anyone related to Nick Cage. Not literally mm. related, mm. but uh, unless we can. Um, so, uh, what have I got on my intro notes? I've got Twitter gang news, contact Nick news, theatre news, what we do. Uh, Golden Girls, Nick Cage has never been in the Golden Girls. But you went to see some Golden Girls last night, didn't you? It's true. I watched seven episodes of Golden Girls <laughs> in a theatre. Are you a huge Golden Girls fan? Uh, personally, no. Let's uh, crack on. Do you want to do uh, Wind Talkers? Tell me about the Wind Talkers. Okay, so Wind Talkers was a film that came out in 2002. Surprised to know. I I've actually seen this movie when it came out. I didn't even know that it was a John Woo film. Were you, were you aware of this? I've not heard of Wind Talkers, to be honest. Okay, that's fair, because not many people have. Um, <laughs> Wind Talkers so is a like World War II film about Navajo natives who use their language as a code system to like deliver orders back and forth. That's because the Japanese army had decoded every form of code that America had up until that point. Okay. And their communications were so important, especially in that area, in that campaign, because it was all, everything was just surrounded by ocean. Everything was islands. Like, it was very difficult to run lines, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Radio communication was incredibly important. And uh, I guess this really happened, actually. Like, legitimately, this was a thing. Oh, really? Turns out that code, the Navajo code, was never cracked. Wow. Yeah, it was, like, the primary success as to why that particular battle theater went so well for America. Kind of crazy, but it focuses in on the character of Ben Yahtzee, who's played by Adam Beach. Uh, mm. If you're not aware of him, he's he's like this actor that he all he's always smiling. This dude's like always smiling. He's so <laughs> he's very handsome. I really like this guy. And he plays the Nav the main Navajo character. Yeah, he plays Ben Yahtzee, who is the Navajo native. Why didn't they and, just get Scarlett Johansson to play him? Oh, interesting. Yeah, because she's basically Navajo, right? <laughs> I mean, she's she's uh, the every she, human. She's all of yeah, us. She reads Navajo to me, at least. <laughs> um, sorry, continue. Sorry. Yeah, he's got a family. He's going off to war. That's what we see, really, about Ben Yahtzee. Then we cut to Joe Enders in the middle 
of a war. Doing war. He's got the guns. Doing war. It's all going to shit. The men around him are like, hey, like, let's just get out of here. You know, we don't all have to die. Let's just retreat. And he's like, no, we were ordered to stand ground. So that's what we're going to do. And essentially his whole regiment dies except for him. Although uh, uh, a grenade goes off very close to him. And somehow he does he doesn't die he just i don't know apparently it cuts away from that scene and he was successful i don't know how that works Uh, there was still (laughs) lots of enemies surrounding his his position and he was the only one left but he was successful um is that going to be that like that thing in the wire where um like uh, there, there's a bit in the wire. I mean, spoiler alert, obviously, but there's a bit in the wire where the character of Omar jumps down from a ninth-story window and survives and can walk away from it. And like, he's a bit messed up, but he can walk away from it. And the real story that's based on the character jumped from a fifteen-foot window, but they had to dumb it dumb it down because fifteen-foot window would have seen just outlandishly un- unbelievable. So is this doing the same thing with like, okay, he he got out of this situation with impossible odds in such an outlandish way in real life that we're going to have to just yada yada that shit. We're going to have to just go like, and they're out of danger now. You would not believe how they did it in real mm. life. Yeah, basically. I mean, he does like the incident of this grenade going off puts... It gives him, like, a permanent scarring, and it's kind of a big deal throughout the film, but, Mm. yeah, it's just, like, it just wipes away, and it's perfectly fine. Everything worked out well. Don't worry about it. Uh, America wins. Americans winners. (laughs) Um, Ben Yossi, he's got a friend, Charlie uh, Whitehorse. They're taking classes on code talking, because it's not... It's not direct Navajo translations because, well, actually in Navajo, they don't have a lot of words for modern or at the time modern military operations or so they have to like develop their own way of coordinating in the Navajo language. So there's like a second step to this that's like important. It's still code. You know, that's what they emphasize is still code. Then we go back to Joe. He has uh, a hearing issue. He has clear PTSD. His balance is off, but it's okay. He wants to do more war. He He's demanding more war. And <laughs> they assign him to this Code Talker project where he has to protect. He's told early on he's got to protect the Code Talker. But if anything happens, he's got to kill the Code Talker because the code is what needs to be protected and not necessarily the person. Right. So they can't, they cannot get abducted. If they do, they'll be interrogated and then they'll break the code, which is incredibly important to America. America wins. Uh, Christian Slater's there. Really? Christian Slater's in this movie. He plays a man named Ox. Goddamn, love me some Christian Slater. What a guy. He's also like a counterpart to Joe. He's protecting Charlie Whitehorse, but he is on the offset very clearly like, I don't think I could kill this man like it's not possible he also plays harmonica that'll come up later america win and <laughs> um so yeah they you know they have a him, joe and ben have a little meet cute it doesn't go well uh, and then boom they're in war they're in um saipan an island called saipan i believe mm-hmm. and uh war is happening you know they're doing a war war is going out america wins uh a guy has a flamethrower which I was pretty sure was against Geneva Convention, like after World War One. 
hang on, two seconds. Uh, are flamethrowers against Geneva Convention? While flamethrowers are not specifically listed as a banned weapon in law, the United Nations Convention on Certain Conventional Weapons that was concluded at Geneva on October 10, 1980 and entered into force in December 1983 prohibits or restricts the use of certain conventional weapons which are considered unnecessary. Now, they've been added to the Geneva Convention, but not till the 80s. So at the time of the Second mm. World War, they were, um, okay. whilst uncommon, they were absolutely fine legally to use. Great. Fantastic. Yeah, war's going on. They're doing some stuff. They, you know, they display the code talking as being successful. Uh, so the Japanese army can't, you know, decipher uh, what's going on. And uh, they successfully call in orders to bomb an area. It's, you know, it's war stuff. Like, you've seen it during yeah. during this war. Like, Joe is clearly, he's off. He's He's going a little too ham. He's going a little too Rambo at, at <laughs> killing people. Ben's not a fan of it. He's obviously shocked by the first time of warring. Is all this happening on um, Sepan uh, yeah. Island? This is on the shores of Sepan. Sepan. They're, Sep- they're taking the island at the start. Like, the island's fully occupied and they're taking it. So, which is just above Guam. I believe that's correct. And it's the Northern Mariana Islands. So this is currently mm. owned by Americas. So presumably you mm. you won it in the world in the Second World War. Yes, I did. You personally won it. <laughs> yes, those are my <laughs> islands now. When you used Navajo code and flamethrowers, flamethrowers really should be. It's terrible. Anyways, um, <laughs> hate it. Hate war. Hate it all. So after this, they have the pretty bog standard like post-war sort of like gathering you know there's multiple characters in this film and they all represent like different atypical angles of like an an army man there's a guy who's like my whole family's been there and he's southern and racist and there's like dudes from all kinds of walk of life you know being marines and stuff and it's going what is your major malfunction yeah essentially does that happen that one yes Several times in that movie, not this one. Nice. Uh, it, <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, this sucks, and oh no, I had a great time, and blah blah blah. It's awful. It's it's kind of trite. It's a low point of the film. And uh, anyway, so they move forward. They're they're navigating through Japan. They get ambushed quite a lot, but after actually the first time they get ambushed. It's by their own people. They're getting shelled by Americans who get the wrong coordinates of where to shell. Fucking America. Come on now. Try harder. But America wins. America beats America, even. A lot of America casualties, yeah, are against America. Absolutely. It's almost like you know it's unfair you go into war against anyone because America is much stronger. So you need to give yourself a handicap. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) And, um, yeah, so that happens. Uh, The most interesting part of this film occurs at this point because Ben's radio gets fucked up due to the shellings. And they Mm. actually can't call in to have the shellings adjusted. So they're just getting fucked here, and they're literally dying. Like, tons of them are dying. And oh, Ben Jesus. is like, hey, let me put on a Japanese 
uniform and just go behind lines, grab a radio call in and adjust. And Joe's like, yeah, I'll I'll help you out. I'll be a prisoner. Apparently Joe knows Japanese. I guess that makes sense a lot. You learn a lot of the language of the fuckers you're trying to kill because America wins. Yeah, of course you do. And, um, and that was Japanese. Um, Ben, I mean, in a racist way, absolutely. Because earlier, like pre before this scene, the racist guy's like, Oh, you look like a Japanese guy. I could have killed you. Could have. And then they get into a fight. And it's really oh, stupid. cool. So they, they do set it up. Yeah, it's... they set the president that, like, if you're an asshole, it could totally happen. Mm. But, like, and... presumably, if he's going to pretend to be a, Jap- uh, a Japanese soldier to fool the Japanese soldiers, he needs to look quite Japanese because they're not trying to foil racists they're trying to foil the group of people that you're trying to pretend to be Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's like if if you're right to say like oh those two people look like they're from the same country we might be incorrect and we might be um not intentionally but accidentally just using Mm -hmm. various stereotypes we have in our heads to get the wrong conclusion but the two people would certainly be better to go like we're clearly from the same place or we're from different countries or whatever. So mm. this so <laughs> this is why you should never let racists choose who goes undercover. Because they would essentially go, Well, essentially you're either white or you can be anyone else. But Literally, that won't yeah. work when you actually do it. You can't afford to be racist when you're sending people undercover. So mm. I can only conclude that this particular person looked exactly like Japanese soldiers. Yeah, if you put him on a scale compared to a lot of other people, I can yeah. see him being further along that radiant. But like, it's it's very clearly demonstrated by a racist character. Yeah, to be this call, but then the film adopts the idea and like carries <laughs> along with it. It's quite strange. Or did the uh, Japanese army have a tremendous amount of different uh, races and nationalities within their army? Am I accidentally being very racist to assume that the Japanese army exclusively had Japanese people in it? You know, it it maybe it had some expats from China or something. You know, you never know. But you uh, never know. Yeah. So. But sorry, yeah, carry, carry they, on. They sorry. do, yeah, no problem. They they do the thing, like they actually get it. It's really impressive. It's really cool. Uh, there, it's a great time. It, it was one of the best scenes. Is um, Ben is like really kind of um, putting strapping boots. He's he's tightening his belt. What I don't know expressions, <laughs> and uh, you know he he gets brave and. Uh, and he does the thing, and it's fucking sick. Honestly, it's really cool. They Sweet. call in, they uh, get the shells in the right direction, and America wins. Amazing. Uh, like, yeah. so, so this sounds to me, correct me if I'm wrong, but this sounds to me like this is a really good film that you genuinely enjoyed through and through. I, I would say it's not a bad film. It, it, it's like, oh yeah, I can, you could watch it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you could watch a film. The Great. thing with all of these films is, I have news for you. You could it's watch watched. it, and with it being John Woo and a Second World War film, how did John Woo fit into uh, his thing? The standard things of doves flying in slow motion and loads of people having two guns. How, did there he was, manage to do those? There was 
toward the beginning of the film, there were birds. Mm. No doves, unfortunately. But um, he got some birds in. That's, that's the, something. He got, his, he got some birds in. Good nice. for him. He met his quota. And as for Double Gun, I don't think got, Double Gun happened even once, honestly. Not even Double Flamethrower? <sighs> Could you imagine? That would be so fun. Double Flamethrower? Holy shit. I, I, I would love that. That that film would go straight to number one. If we oh, come across yeah. a film with Double Flamethrower. Double Flamethrower is actually a great title for a movie with Nicolas Cage in it. It is, isn't it? Alright, write that down. Anyways. Um, That's the name of the, of the Nicolas Cage play! Double, double Flamethrower. Flamethrower. Doesn't double matter that thrower. it's just, you know, a Christmas carol. Uh, or a Nicholas Carol. <laughs> How dare you? How <laughs> and, dare you? A Nicholas Cage. Come on. No, I, I will give you nothing, sir. A Nicholas Mus. A Nicholas. Actually, that was kind of good. I like that. Keep going okay. down that path. So, a Nicholas Carol. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> A couple of cagemus, a couple of a couple of cagemus. I like uh, a Nicholas Carroll, a couple of cagemus, double flamethrower, double flamethrower, subtitle double flamethrower. Oh yeah, this is good. Uh, we'll write sure. all of it down. I won't forget any of it. All eighty words of our description were allowed in the uh, little pamphlet at the theater. Will be taken up. Can by you the imagine title. seeing that on a marquee somewhere? <laughs> You kind of have to go watch it, right? 100%. 100%. Starring um, Nicolas Cage. It's in so, the title. So what was Cage like in this film? Oh, God. He put on some really great... This was, like, a really good span of years for him, where he hit, he'd, like, broke out and became kind of this action star. Mm. This is following that, like... You know, it's 2002. It's shortly after the 90s. That's how numbers work, Greg. <laughs> um... <laughs> And hey, you know what? I I hadn't considered it, but 2002. It is really close to the 90s, isn't it? Yeah, like, like culturally as well as numberly. Yes, it's you know every decade expands a few years into the next one. It arith matters how close the numbers and the culture are. Yeah, so this is like him in that in that era, in that prime of his career, and he's doing a great job. Like, he's Mm. portraying this character who is mortally and ethically defeated, who doesn't really have a path forward. He is neglecting connections with Ben because he knows he might have to kill him, because he's a good Marine. Like, that's the sides that he's battling with. That's the two wolves that he's feeding or neglecting is do I be a good Marine? He doesn't even really care about being a good Marine, honestly, at this point. He really scoffs at uh, several occasions of of honorifics and um, of his uh, of his duty and just outright, you know, neglects them or gives them away. Mm. He's really... That's the fight of the film, more or less. I think Ben is a character who we see slowly decline over the film, into more of what Joe is, which is kind of like this really jaded and kind of hateful individual. Like, Ben is a novice, and toward the end of the film, he goes, like, full Rambo. He just... At a point in the film, his friend 
White Horse mm. and Ox, they find themselves kind of out of position because they get ambushed in a small village. Ox knows like what's about to go down, but he refuses to kill White Horse. They've they've connected uh, throughout the film. He plays the harmonica and uh, White Horse plays his instrument and they're like, oh, I don't think this is going to go well together. These two cultures aren't going to mesh, but they're like, no, nah, let's give it a try. And, it, 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 you know, it works for the most part. Yeah, Ox refuses to kill White Horse, but immediately gets killed himself. And then Joe, uh, unfortunately, is the one who has to kill White Horse with a grenade, taking him out and his captors. And this creates a, a bit of tension between the two, where Ben shifts into this character who is much less remorseful, mm-hmm. more merciless, and more Rambo-esque, just haul an ass into war and joe is like clearly didn't want to do it he even tells ben that his orders are to kill him if necessary Mm. and you know just like more war happens and (laughs) you know you know you know you see if you've seen a world war ii movie you know like you know the pattern of like war happens and then conversations and then war happens and then conversations until eventually everybody fucking dies. It does sound like Cage has done a, an impressive job with this one, though. He's not wicker manning it, you know what I'm saying? Like, Which is a shame, but I understand. I like the idea that he can <laughs> he can choose not to wicker man it. Yeah, he's, he's being very serious and really taking this character on whole onto him and portraying it. And yeah, he's doing a great job, like... A plus acting from both Adam and Nick here, like they completely carry the film. And to and to that point, and to the um, credit of the film, like mm. it's not entirely praising of World War Two oh, or the cool. Allies. It, it's not wholly nostalgia bait or yeah. circle jerk. It 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 makes a not a lot of poignant remarks of war, mm. but it's not hyping it up either. Like it's very clearly a shit thing to have yeah. happen. And um, basically the end of this film is Joe and Ben find themselves in a similar situation to Ox and Whitehorse. So the sergeant in charge ends up dead and Joe finds himself in a similar situation as the beginning of the film where now he's in charge and they're put in an impossible situation to hold a location. Yeah, you're thinking, oh, this is going to end up poorly again. At least the character thinks so. But no, he chooses, like, no, his people are going to live this time. And he ends up in a similar situation with Ox and Whitehorse, where they have to make a choice. And yeah, he refuses to kill Ben. Even after all this deliberation, he really chooses not to kill him. He's like, you're gonna live everyone's gonna fucking live puts ben on his back runs out and he saves everyone uh but joe does end up dying in the end and ben makes it out and that is essentially the film that is wind talkers uh, a surprisingly good and poignant nick cage film it seems mm-hmm. yeah it was you know not a lot of not like a lot of high points or memorable scenes, but mm. all through like a very solid film in an incredibly watchable. 
I gotta get away from this. Dude, <laughs> I gotta get away from this watchable bullshit. <laughs> but but it seem it seems weird because this time we seem to have two credible watchable films. Mm, really? Because you had a the John Woo film Wind Talkers, and then I looked at the Ridley Scott film Matchstick Men. All right, man, tell me about it. It universally got good reviews, which is always a concern with a Nicolas Cage film, because you want mental from him. You you want him to go crazy. Thankfully, his character has lots of ticks, because has potentially OCD. So we've got oh a lot boy. of fun coming on there. Uh, Nicolas Cage does Nicolas Cage it the fuck up throughout pretty much all of this movie. Okay, excellent. Another little bit of fun. We've seen Nicolas Cage with Willem Dafoe. So in the list of actors who tend to be a bit crazy on set, who should we put him with this time? Let's put him with Sam Rockwell. Oh, wow. Yep. We get Nicolas Cage and Sam Rockwell as con men, sorry, con artists, work working together. And the, the very, very basic thing of the film is Nicolas Cage has OCD, is off his meds, so is ticking like a bastard and opening and closing doors and counting and Nicolas Cage being quite a... <laughs> I imagine anyone with OCD watching it might get a tad irritated with how flippantly the film is dealing with it. But it's Nicolas Cage, so it's fine. That happens, they pull off a series of short cons halfway through the film. We, well, 30 minutes into the film, sorry, Nicolas Cage realises he has a 14-year-old daughter and then very quickly meets her. They get along like a house on fire, but she is a disruption to his life. He can't go along being his um, sort of solitary person going, I don't let anyone into my life because I'm a criminal and I love being a criminal with Sam Rockwell going like, yeah, dude, I'm really messy and clumsy and you've got OCD. It's a regular odd pairing, but we love each other. Yes, we do love each other. I hope nothing comes between us. Whoa, you've got a 14-year-old daughter. So he starts teaching his daughter how to be a con artist and she's brilliant. Straight away, she's brilliant. Excellent. They, they do incredibly well. They have a great old time. At the start of the third act, they have the inevitable situation where tension is invented for no reason, and Nicolas Cage and his daughter decide to go away from each other and have a screaming argument for no reason. This kind of, like I in my notes I wrote at the beginning, like he's going to meet his daughter. I know that much, and I bet at the third start of the third act there'll be some sort of created conflict to pull them apart from each other, and then they'll come back together. And there is, but it's so unnecessary, the conflict. They're getting along, wow. Then Nicolas Cage suddenly goes, Mmm, I can't live like this. I just, I'm no good for you. I'm a shit dad. Go away. And then she's like, hey, you're not a bad person. You're just not that good of all one either. And then she goes away. Five minutes later, he finds her and goes, I'm sorry. And she goes, don't worry, I love you. I love you. Back to the story. Now, they then do a con, it goes wrong, and we find the big twist of the film, which I will get to in a bit. But that's that's the basic plot. You've got uh, two con men working together. The disruptive element of a surprised daughter turns up. Uh, Nick Cage and the daughter get along like a house on fire. They then do a another con job that goes wrong. Then we get a twist. The twist, of course, is that Sam Rockwell has been working with Nicolas Cage's daughter all along, who is <gasps> not Nicolas Cage's daughter, and that is a con they're doing to rip off uh, Sam, uh, to rip off Nick Cage of all of his money and set him up for every single crime that's ever happened, wow. ever. 
And, and the twist is surprising because it hasn't earned it. It's not surprising in a way that you go, oh, that is satisfying, that's wonderful. Because a good twist, when it comes along, you should go, I didn't see that coming, but now that I've seen it coming, there's no way anything else could have happened. That was set up beautifully and seeded. This film does not earn that twist. Like, it's a very enjoyable film. It's It reminds me, as so many films remind me, it reminds me of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Um, <laughs> I gotta see this movie that you talk about so much. I it, it if you ever watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, you'll go. That is an average movie because it's not uh, a great movie, but it's a but it's a lot of fun and it's aware my, of its place on the scheme of things. My question is like, if I watch this movie, will I relate everything to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Yeah, uh, probably. You got. <laughs> you got <laughs> I like to think so, um, but the. For the Matchstick Men, like uh, it turns out, match, uh, Matchstick Men is uh, a euphemism for for con artists, so that's why the film's called that. Oh, interesting. But uh, Sam Rockwell and Nicolas Cage's characters—they're an odd pairing from the start because uh, Sam Rockwell is, you know, he's a poor man and he's incredibly sloppy and clumsy, and when he's eating, food's falling from his mouth, so Nicolas Cage's character can tick like a bastard, and go so like, you're dropping food, you're dropping food, take your shoes off, take your shoes off, and just do that, and then open and close the door a few times. And it's it's hilarious to see someone with mental illness depicted so well on the screen, as we all know. But uh, they they come together in a way which... It never explains how these two characters came together, and it would only make sense if it gave us all the information. The font used for all of the credits really annoys me. It's a really uneven... Imagine imagine the... What's that font everyone takes the piss out of, but... Um, it Is it Comic Sans? Comic Sans, yeah. Imagine Comic Sans, but thin and angular. <laughs> that, that's difficult to imagine. Yeah, it, imagine Comic Sans, but nothing like Comic Sans, essentially. <laughs> but... <laughs> But if you see the if you see the font, you uh, if you watch the film and you see the font, you'll go right. I'm not sure I agree with Greg, but I understand what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Like it, so I don't know whether that's a font that was chosen because I don't know they were bribed by someone because it's a dreadful font, or whether it's intentionally a frustrating font to put you in the mindset of someone with uh, with uh, uncontrolled OCD who's like suddenly like frustrated by this by everything in front of you and you feel like a That's, helpless yeah. need to change something which is outside of your control like if it's doing that oh that's nice and clever but it's probably not doing that someone just made a terrible choice but um that's going on very early on i think about five minutes in uh sam rockwell's character goes thoughts on lunch and then they run through a couple of things i think sam rockwell's character is going like john burger and nick cage is going hmm, i was thinking sushi stuff like that now this is a trope used in lots and lots of films which i find both uh entertaining and infuriating because presumably it's a quick way to do character building sam rockwell likes burgers which are a famously sloppy f- food nick cage likes sushi which is a famously organized and neat food so it, it, it's a nice way of doing that but we have to only wait 10 minutes before we get Cage doing Cage when he yells whack jobs in a delightfully uh, offhand way. This is also the film, if you look for like uh, best Nick Cage quotes in movies ever, you will always see the one come up where he's in a pharmacist and go like, well how would you like me to punch you in the side so you shit blood or something like that, right? This is the film that that line comes from which is incredible. 
so if nothing else that makes this film deserve to beat stupid sensible wind talkers um, <laughs> his daughter is played by um alison loman who is of course the woman who plays the lead in drag me to hell but it's her um i don't know how old she's the actress is in this film but she's playing a 14 year old who was a con artist throughout the whole film and we never saw it coming yeah there's there's really not much to say about the film because it's a it's a puff piece it's it's a piece of throwaway pop popcorn it's 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 fun it's it's exciting while you're watching it i mean to be fair i did have to pause it roughly every half hour to go and do something else because it was boring me more than a little I really wanted to love this film. It, it, the trailer's very exciting and silly. And the three main characters, uh, her from Drag Me to Hell, she's very good. Some, Sam Rockwell's always fun to watch, and Nicolas Cage is almost always fun to watch. So you're expecting a lot of things from it. But it's kind of a bit dull. Like you don't get mm. you don't get any satisfying relationship between him and his daughter, even though the implication is that they're best mates very, very quickly, in a way that I suppose is a bit suspicious. And ah, that was a hint that it was made up all along, isn't it? Because why would they become so quick friends? She Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I was stupid. Oh, and it turns out the um uh, therapist he goes to see early doors uh not a real therapist and the drugs he's being given are placebos because love and affection can cure mental illness where drugs will never properly work that seems to be one of the many ideas behind it that love and happiness cure mental illness is a delightful idea yeah because all of his illness is basically based on uh, guilt of being a criminal and as soon as he exposes himself to to love and a daughter and the responsibilities of fatherhood he he does the grown-up thing and snaps out of his ocd um realistic very realistic that's that's the basic of the film i mean the the plot itself includes a long con but the the con means nothing because it was all made up really but just a rich guy owns a boat they decide to rob money off him by saying like hey we'll give you fifty thousand pound sterling and you give us fifty thousand dollars this way you earn more money because the exchange rate whereas we get rid of this hot money that we can't do anything with because we're criminals and the guy's okay with this and just gives them fifty thousand dollars and they obviously swap the suitcases so they get a suitcase full of nothing and the guy finds out about this and chases them and yells abuse but it's all a setup so it's a waste of everyone's time that's that's the film i know you had half an hour's worth of talk about wind talkers and i've got about five minutes worth of talk about matchstick men because again spoiler this is not a film that i enjoyed it's not a terrible film if it was up against dog eat dog or something this would probably win because it because it's a film it's a proper film that has a start middle and end has a little twist has some good actors doing some good work but I don't understand why it was lauded so much. I don't understand why it got so many good reviews because it feels like everyone is phoning it in. It feels like everyone's doing an adequate job in their acting, but they know that they've got a job they're really excited about, which is starting in a month's time. So they're just filling some time and earning some quick cash for, and you know, getting to put that they've worked with Ridley Scott on their CV. It does seem like that sort of thing. No one's really putting any of their heart into it. Everyone's just running through it. It's very much by numbers. I wouldn't be surprised if this 
film was written by um you know you can buy those like plot dice that people will use when they're writing um some sort of rpg campaign and that you roll the plot dice and different symbols mean different things and you can mm. construct situations from it it feels like it was written by the, in that sort of way just people pulling out random little things and then putting them together it's so by numbers and it's so it's not it's not that it's cliched it's just it's so simple it's like i went to film school and this is my first um film that i've that i've written because i like tarantino Mm. but i don't want to do any film like him oh kiss kiss bang bang looks good i'll do that but not a good version of it like and i've got nick cage so let's make him tick all over the place so he can do that funny voice he likes to do it's enjoyable but boring it's satisfying but doesn't earn satisfaction the actors do a good job but they're clearly not putting any heart into it so Mm. in many ways it's a whole lot of contradictions i mean maybe the real con is getting everyone to go and see this film but it's from 2003 so about the same period that um wind talkers was being made so we're in good cage time we haven't Mm. fallen into the slump yet and he like you say he's this action hero at the moment and this is quite a mellow role for him he's it's not high lots of running and jumping but not a lot of fighting and that but um yeah that's that's it there i mean were there any there weren't really any stand like massive wonderful uh quotes from it as well there's lots of him yelling abuse like when he threatens to make someone um piss blood that was that was entertaining but essentially we're laughing at someone who's mentally ill which i'm not against in a movie but it needs to earn it mm-hmm. <laughs> and i'm yeah. not sure if this one if this one does like it, it see, it frustrates me that whenever his his not real daughter is in play, that uh, his illness goes away, and whenever she's gone, it comes back with a vengeance. That annoys me. It annoys me that she wasn't his real daughter. I think it would have been a better film if it was his real daughter, but he she still was working with Sam Rockwell. I think making her not real as well was just a, not a step too far, but just created boredom where it was trying to create sort of exciting conflict. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, Cage does Cage does an engaging job. An engaging job, if you will. But, um... I, mean, I will I, not. I, I promise... No, I can't promise not to do more puns. I promise I'll try not to do more puns. How's that? <laughs> I want you to unregulate yourself as much as possible regardless of my reaction <laughs> consider it done right now <laughs> let's talk about all the blacks in this film like um oh no <laughs> what have i done oh but yeah uh, so uh, it, it sounds like would, a yeah go you ahead you know i was just gonna say one of the little pretend cons small cons that they do you know donnie darko yeah, you know um, the mum who goes like, "I'm beginning to doubt your commitment to sparkle motion." Yes, they rip her off for three hundred dollars. <laughs> oh, cool! <laughs> How'd they do that? Oh, because his daughter pretended to be young goes, "Hey, I found this lottery ticket, but uh, but you know, let's throw it away." And then they phone they phone up because it's the winning numbers. Well, like five of the six winning numbers, 
and it's like you've won six hundred dollars and it's like oh wow we're gonna split this three hundred dollars each and it's like, okay but i've got to go back to school now so you keep all of it i found it but you're a grown-up i can't do anything with it and she goes i'll tell you what i'll give you three hundred dollars from my purse right now and then i'll go and cash this in later on when i'm ready okay so it's that simple all you need to do if you've got access to a child get them to speak to someone who's just to find a lottery ticket and give it to someone who will then like give them money. Yeah, I mean the best cons are involve children. Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, interpret that how you will. We know where my vote is, but like, if we were to compare these two films. interesting like it's an interesting thing it's another situation of like i feel i feel like we're gonna run into this often where we have like a solid film Mm. where nick cage is in it and then we have a film which is taking a lot of like making choices and doing weird stuff yeah uh, but kind of falls flat in terms of narrative maybe a little bit yeah Um, like it if you've got people over and you're going to watch a Cage film, are you intending to go, let's watch a genuinely wonderful, thought-provoking, uh, exciting, engaging movie, or are you going like, fucking look what he does in this? Yeah, like, I, I think you are watching Max Stickman, honestly. Yeah, but then I would still argue that if if we're going by Cage, we're probably going to be watching Dog Eat Dog as well. Because as dreadful as mm. a movie as it was, and... Mm. It's fun watching Cage phone it in and look so bored whilst the film is so unhinged and mental. That mm. makes Cage look great, Cage and Dog Eat Dog. But Dog Eat Dog was previous. We don't need to go back to that. So Matchstick sure. Man, I think, is the better Cage for, for fun Cage. Wind Talkers sounds like just the better film. Yeah, it's like, it's an adequate film. It really, yeah. it's very adequate, maybe slightly above ad- adequate, to be honest, but it's not what you, God, you just wouldn't want to sit down and be like, oh, can't wait to watch Wind Talkers. Right. If you okay. wanted to sit down and see something, like, I feel like Matchstickman is the film you'd want to see. Because it's not unenjoyable. It's almost two hours mm. long, which irritates me. Though this should be an hour and a half. Oh this... no! Cut cut those scenes, baby. Yeah. Like let's 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 uh, trim the fat on that one. We need to get this bitch to eighty eight minutes. That would be ideal. There's mm. there's too much. I mean, and and why is Hans Zimmer doing the music? Like Hans Zimmer's <sighs> a a great sort of like what um, the fuck? film scorer, but but Hans Zimmer doing matchstick men soundtrack seems like a waste it just feels yeah, like that's... he he owed ridley scott a favor <laughs> absolutely dude you nailed it yeah can matchstick men go through then do you reckon do you think the worst film will win this one because it is the better cage i i don't think that will end up happening because i feel like we'll come across a film that is both mm. yeah, i i hope so i hope so but <laughs> me too um, this is but for 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 this for this episode, we've got a genuinely good, emotional, heartfelt movie, and we've got Nicolas Cage pretending to have OCD. Yikes! I mean, I I do hate that, but honestly, <laughs> you know, it, it, we we have to see these mil- 
these films of as their time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as their time, like, it, it probably wasn't, like, the most horrible representation. This is true. Um, and I'm all for make mental illness stigmatized again. <laughs> it's not, it's not, I am Sam, right? Levels. No, 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 it's not, it's, it's, it's not I, I am Sam, it's, um, it's just, the thing is, I, it's possibly not fair to me keep on saying he's got OCD, because they never say out loud what his illness is. Oh, really? Like, um, he does things like he has to open the door three times, so like, one, two, three, before he does things, so it's implying there's a sort of com- compulsion and uh, repetitive thing needed for him to stay sane, and for him to not overreact and just spiral out of control, and also he's uh, very fastidious with his neatness, which, these are lazy but a- quick signifiers yeah. for OCD within movies. Yeah. Like, so, so it could be that there's, there is a mental illness where this is a perfect depiction of, but I'm just unaware of the mental illness that they're, that they're um, referring to, so to me it seems like a bad interpretation of something else. But, so it could be, I might be being unfair, they never specifically and explicitly say what's wrong with him. But it's yeah, the lack it, of love, that's what's wrong with him. Yeah, the, the unchildrenness of his life. Yeah, get get a, get a child, even if it's not a real one. It, even if it's like a con a con child, <laughs> con child, con child. Matchstick man, congratulations! Against all odds, you have managed to beat the rubbish World War Two film. <laughs> about somehow the- you tricked your way into winning this one. Exactly, you've cracked that Navajo code yourself. We have a winner, and it is inexplicably Matchstick Man. I like this. I, I'm I'm happier with the idea of us starting knowing what the film that's going to win is, and ending having the opposite one win. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't. I, I I think I think we did well. Honestly, it's yeah. in terms of like entertain. I I think we really have to take the lens of what's more entertaining. Definitely. And apply them to the films. And I feel like Wind Talkers is a solid movie, but was it entertaining? I don't think so. There there was a few good parts, mm. um, and that was about it. I, I feel like maybe Matchstick Men had like the entertainment factor that Nicolas Cage like that we look for in Nicolas Cage, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you just need half an hour of the film edited out and more mm-hmm. Sam Rockwell, you'll be laughing. Absolutely. Let's remake that film as well. Just get the just get the film, just get it as an MP4, mm-hmm. whack it into iMovie and just cut. Edit it down. Yeah. Yeah. I might I and might have a go it. at doing that and then upload it to YouTube. Yes. Excellent. But right, okay, onwards to our outro. We have done this. We have done another two films have battled. Another film has fallen. Another film has raced forward to the next round. We have made some friends with some podcasts, and we have made some mortal enemies with other podcasts. We have a theatre show which is taking shape, and we have some film journalists choosing to ignore us. Also, we have some thoughts on the golden girls but thomas tell the good people what you've got going on uh just pretend once more i am him from hot wings yeah again i might be streaming maybe who knows i have a twitter good luck (laughs) 
<laughs> and all the people who find us Twitter, can you just like tweet on it? Like hashtag whatever the hashtag is for this show, like hashtag uh, mm-hmm. best best cage pod or something. Yeah. Um, this uh, yeah, should we should we like even though the show's called Cage Fight and that's what it's going to be called on all of wherever you listen to podcasts, but um, on Twitter and that it might be like at better than your cage podcast. <laughs> I like that. That is definitely the at we should go with. Yeah. But do do all that and at us and uh, hashtag and all that nonsense. But if you can, if you find Tom's, just just tweet found you. <laughs> I think that'd be yeah, nice. And don't tell anyone else. No, or no. I will have to mute you or I like, potentially I, block you. I like the idea of in a few weeks your Twitter, you just get tons of notifications, just random people saying found you and tons of other nick cage podcasts calling us oh yeah i can't wait to wake up to that all dreary and just freak the fuck out about it it's gonna be so good (laughs) all right and so greg what do you have going on um oh i'm just just rewriting bible takes a while tom like it's a big project but uh, yeah, go go to gregoryaikman.org. It's all it's all there. And um, oh, I'll tell you what, with this podcast and any other podcast that either of us are associated with, I don't like saying this because it makes me sound awful. But could could you like rate it and review it and comment it and tell everyone about it? Because I never tell people to do this with anything I'm involved with, and as a result, no one's ever heard of anything I'm involved with. So could you could you tell everyone? And could you give us star reviews? We don't like. Obviously, the better would prefer if you go five stars. It is better than every Nick Cage podcast. They suck, and this one's awesome. But just say anything, because engagement like that means we get pushed up charts. And if we get pushed up charts, then then that mattress company will want to sponsor us, and we get some cash. Much like with the concept of this podcast, decide which of these episodes you like more, and have one of them win. By commenting on both. Yes, definitely. And there'll be a prize. And the more you engage, and the more people find out about this, the more chance there is for Nicolas Cage himself to speak to us and get involved with this. And we need that to happen because other podcasts have tried it and failed. And we must vanquish our enemies. You can help that happen. Thank you. Later. Bye. Bye, Cage. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole?